Praise the Lord and good morning, all you nexters. Good morning. Um, I'm going to do that because I don't like this thing. It is, Jason mentioned that it was a, it's, it's been a very active time. You hang on to that, Brittany. It's been a very active time in the church, and I can't, uh, man, I can't agree anymore. There's, there's been so much going on in my spirit and in my mind for the last two months. It's, it's just really hard to quantify. But I'm doing my best, and, and one of the ways that I've, I've done that is I've gotten a notebook because I've, I've got to write stuff down, and Jason has applauded me for that. But uh, I want to tell you just about one thing in particular. Somebody told me that there have been four really legitimate miracles of healing in the past little while, in the past few weeks. And one of those was, uh, was my wife. On uh, A couple of weeks ago, it was uh, July 19th. It was the Wednesday before the week that we were leaving to go to NAYC. She texted me. In early in the morning, I had gone to work, and she texted me and said, "Baby, would you pray for me? My back is is really hurting. I can't I can't really move very much." And you know, we've been married for twenty something years, twenty one years, and I've never she's never texted me with something that said, "Hey, would you pray for me right now?" So I was a little concerned, so I, I didn't pray. I called her and I said, "You want me to come bring you to the hospital? Are you okay?" I didn't, you know, just out of character for her. So I uh, she said, "No, I just." My back's just hurting. I really want you to pray for me. So I prayed that day, and, and she continued to hurt uh, for, for a few days. But on the following Tuesday, so, so seven days later, six days later, we were preparing to leave to go to NAYC with, with our group. And Nancy was praying that morning. Uh, the group had, had fasted the day before and prayed, and she was praying that morning in, in our uh, sitting room. And she said she just she was praying that God would heal her because, you know, she didn't want to make this drive to and from from Indianapolis with this pain. She was just hurting. So she finished praying, and, and she got up and went on about her business, and she, she noted that at some point, just a little while after that, she realized that her back just wasn't hurting anymore. She didn't know when it happened, but it happened, right? All of a sudden, that's right, give God some praise. All of a sudden, it just happened. There's a lot going on here, so we need, to, we need to have our antennas up if you don't already because God's got some stuff for you. I want to commend Jason, and he always says lots of nice things. Where did you go, Coop? Oh, there you are. Okay, in the corner. Get that notebook ready, son. You're going to need it. Um, he always says lots of nice things about me, and I appreciate that. And, and you know, the fact is, Jason and I have seen a lot of each other over the last 20, however many years it was. We, we've seen some good times. We've seen some bad ones, seen some stupid ones. We've done some things together we shouldn't have done at all. I mean, we've, you know, we've kind of covered the gamut. But to those of us who, who've enjoyed the product that's come over this podium here for the last two or three years, I just want to say that, you know, sometimes we, we consume it maybe a little bit casually, but we need to know that it's not easily produced. Something good to say and fresh and real happening every week, the way he does it, that, that doesn't just happen. You don't even get to read a book and just, it just, just not, it doesn't happen that way. So realize that that man, he puts in the time, he studies, he reads, he writes, he teaches. There's a lot that goes on uh, behind the scenes to, to produce this, this top-notch product every week. Jason, I honor you for that. I know you love doing this, but it's still not easy. It's not easy. It's not, not something that just happens. 
As I said, I, I've got a lot on my heart. I've got a lot on my mind. I feel very strongly about what I've got to give you. I've said this before, and, and maybe you're getting tired of it, but I want you to understand that I just give you what I got. I, I can't give you what I don't have, but I can't keep from you what I do have. I have to give you just what I've got. And sometimes it's heavy, and uh, sometimes it, it may make you feel uncomfortable, and that's not my intention. I wish that you all would just be comfortable all the time and just all smiles and all that. But sometimes it's just not that way. Sometimes it just isn't that way. I've got to give you what I got. And for the next couple of weeks, I'm going to do that. Uh, I hope that, that what I say in, in any arena really touches you in a way that will sustain you when you need sustaining. Touches you in a way that you'll remember. Uh, my hope is always to just stimulate you and and create some clear planes of thought in your mind, give you something to think about, something that you can, that you can hope on, so to speak. With all that being said, uh, I'm gonna, I'll begin in the book of Mark. Before we talk about titles and such, I'm going to read for you, and we're going to start in Mark chapter 3 and verse 7. The Bible says, but Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan. And they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he sat, and uh, I'm sorry, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as had many plagues and unclean spirits. When they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain and calleth unto him, whom he would, and they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out devils. I want to talk to you this morning about this new word that I made up called withness. Withness. You see that? No, Mr. Microsoft Word, I did not mean witness or wetness or wittiness. I meant withness. I want to talk to you about some of the things I've learned over the years and some of the things the Bible has taught us about being with, being with. Um, as has already been mentioned here today, in, in 2017, there's been a lot of focus on relationships here at Grace Church, not just in this class. Obviously, we've for the whole year, thus far, we focused on, on relationships, and that's, again, that's Jason, Jason's vision and his leadership, and it was a great thing to start off on. And then at some point later in the year, Pastor even spent a couple of months in mid midweek service doing the same thing, talking about some of the same things. Uh, we've learned that if we want a happy life, we need first and foremost to have quality relationships in our lives. Does anybody believe that? Is that? Has that come to be a truth in your life this year? I call that a show enough truth. That means it's just real, right? You don't argue with that. 
We've got to have good relationships if we're going to be happy. Uh, in this first week of the, the sub-series that we're calling Withness, we're going to kind of keep things in order, okay? Today, I'm going to focus on the single most important and most valuable relationship that you have now or that you should have or that you will ever have in your life at any time, and that is your relationship with Jesus Christ. I'm going to give it to you just the way I got it, so I hope it's okay. I got it in my heart a certain way, and if, if you're lacking a relationship with God today, everything else that you do is, is shifting sands. You're just going to struggle in every other facet of your life if your relationship with God is not solid. Because we've got to be able to relate to who Jesus is before we can understand who we are ourselves. After we can relate to Jesus and after you understand your place in his heart, then you can start talking about relating to other people. I don't believe personally that we can do any of those things until there's been some withness. Everybody say withness. Say it real fast. Withness. There you go. You got to whip it out. <laughs> withness. Let me set the stage a little bit with, with what the Bible says that we read uh, there in Mark. It says in that span of verses that Jesus withdrew himself to the sea. And it said that a lot of people followed him. And those lots of people, they were from lots of different places. But there was a large multitude and they all followed him. And it says that, that the people pressed on him, is, is the words that the Bible used, because they wanted to touch him. The reason that they wanted to touch him is because they believed, many of them, that if they would touch him, that he, they would be healed or delivered. Because it specifically mentions those things. It mentions possessions and, and sicknesses that those people knew that they, if they could touch God, he would deliver them from it. Then the Bible says that Jesus went to the mountain, and this is where it gets interesting for me and purposeful for what we're talking about today. And from the mountain, he called whom he would. Whoever, whatever that is, he called whom he would, and they came to him. And it seems to me that he called those people from that same large following that had followed him from all of those different places. And then verse 14, I'll go to 14 again. And the Bible says... He ordained the twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and to cast out devils. So did y'all catch that? With him. It said that he ordained the twelve. Y'all know those twelve. And that their ordination was the fact that they were going to be with him. Then what? After they were with him, then he was going to send them. For what? To preach, to heal the sick, and to deliver. And I think that the order of this is paramount. You know, there, there's nothing in the Bible that's unimportant. We miss, we miss the importance of things, but everything that's there is of the highest value. There's nothing there that's insignificant. We just don't know its significance sometimes. But the order of that is paramount. He calls them, he ordains them, they're with him, and then he sends them. Those four things. And he sends them for the reasons of preaching, healing, and delivering. And this is one of those carts that's easy to put ahead of its horse. Okay, The culture that, that we're a part of is driven 
to see the result without seeking a cause. We want to see the thing, but we're not so much concerned about what caused the thing. Like, like we want the money, but we want to avoid at all costs what causes the money to show up. What y'all call that? Work, right. Or value. That's the kind of place we live in. They want to see the thing, but they don't want to be involved in the cause. Back to that progression. I think it's the same way in the church. Sometimes, Hunter, we want to be effective, but we haven't been affected yet. We want to be effective, but we've not been affected. And if that's true, then it speaks to our motive. If, if you want to see the effect, but you don't want to be affected, it means that you're like, likely a seeker of glory, right? You secretly, not out, you, you're not going to tell anybody this because it wouldn't be accepted, but secretly, you want the accolade for what's spoken. You want the credit for the healing. You want the praise for the deliverance that might happen because you were involved. But if we've been with God and we've been caused ourselves to repent and, and we've been healed, Nancy, and, and we've been delivered, then what that means is that we're effecting through the effect of withness. That makes it all genuine. You see, the experience with, with God makes your motive genuine. You with me? I'm talking about withness. Withness. We will be most effective only after we have been affected. Do you uh, next lifers, those of you have been here the whole time, Jason, how long have we been doing this? Three years? About three years. Something like that. Y'all remember the scripture that gave birth to the My Story series? There's some, some of you My Story folks in here. Farrah's done one. I did one. Some of you others have done one. That all started uh, early in, I don't know, probably six or eight months in. And, and it started with Revelation 12 and 10, where the Bible says this. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength. In the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ, for the accuser of the brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. The word of your testimony is the story of your affectedness. Y'all with me? The, the word that, that you speak, the story that you tell is the result of your witness with God. That's what the testimony is. That's what makes it genuine. You know, any sales organization values a story more than anything else. They believe that if you can tell a good story, not one that you made up, but one that you really experienced, one that's part of your life, that's connected to the product, then the person, they'll believe you, and they're going to want the product. And, and the sales industry didn't invent that. God invented it. And, and John wrote it in Revelation 12. And we're going to overcome. Look, think of all the stuff that, that we could put there. We could overcome by prayer. We could overcome by fasting. 
didn't say that. We could overcome by worship. We could overcome by a great song, the Spirit. We could overcome by shouting. Didn't say that. It's said by the blood of the Lamb and the story that you tell about yourself. Two things. That's what you're, what's, what's going to overcome the enemy. Withness is the cause of all of that. Withness is the cause. Listen, y'all, from the very beginning of mankind, we were designed to be with God. I mean from day one. The Bible says in Genesis 3 that in the cool of the day, Adam and Eve heard the voice of God walking in the garden. He was walking in the garden, and he was looking for the thing that he had created, the things that he had created. He was looking for Adam and Eve. And it sounds to me like in the beginning, God's intention was to just be with man. He created the garden, this perfect place for them. He put them there. He gave them one rule that they apparently could not keep, and I shouldn't blame them because if I'd have been there, I'd I'd have failed myself. I would have eaten the fruit, okay? So let's not pile on Eve. But something happened. This this incendiary act that, that we call sin was introduced, and just like that, being with God wasn't as easy as it had been before because prior to that sin, the sin nature of God, of, of people being exposed, they had perfect access to God. But then they put this thing between themselves and God called sin. There was witness, but now that sin had entered the picture, Adam and Eve, as well as every other human that would ever follow, needed a mediator. They didn't have direct access anymore. So because of that, remember, we're talking about witness, and we're talking about from the beginning what the design of God was. So because of that, God had to make a change. He changed the way he dealt with man after that moment. And the biggest point of order in that change was that we really couldn't be with him anymore. That was over. Now, in order for us to to approach God, blood had to be shed to cover the sin which blocked us from him. We didn't have the same ease of access that was designed in the garden. Now, don't, don't misunderstand. God didn't love people any less because of their sin. He, he still loved Adam and Eve, and he still loves you and me, and he still wo- loves the worst of the worst, whatever that is, with the fiercest of love. The love doesn't change. Listen to what Romans says in uh, chapter 8 and verse 34. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Who shall separate, shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword? As it is written, for thy sake are we killed all the day long. We are accounted for as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. He's serious about the loving. He loves us. He loves you. My kids, they get this little test. This, I don't know if Cole got it, but the little ones have gotten it. And I just, I've, I've always said that, you know, if you're a parent here, your first job is to love your children. 
Your second job is to make sure that they know it. Because if they don't know it, you've wasted your, you've wasted your time. They, they can grow up and be 25 and say, but Dad, you didn't love me. That would be a travesty if you did the work, but they didn't know. So with my little ones, I ask them on a regular basis. I'll call, let's say, Ella. I'll call Ella. Ella, how much do I love you? And she'll say, a lot, Daddy. And I'll say, baby, do I love you more when you're good? And she'll say, no. Now, they answered the wrong, time, the wrong way lots of times in the beginning, but we taught them, see. Do I love you less when you're bad, Ella? No, no, sir. Do I love you more when you make an A? No, Daddy. Do I love you more or less when you make an F? No, Daddy. You see, they've gotten it now. They know that I love them because just they're my babies. Doesn't matter what they do anymore. Now, what they, what they do will have consequences, but the consequence will not be affected through my love. And that's God's way. Sin separates us from God. It, it puts distance between you and God. But he doesn't stop loving you. If we live a sinful and, and in, a, in a sinful and unrepentant state, th then we deny ourselves the experience of being with God. We deny ourselves the relationship with God. And he's grieved by that. Let me read this to you from Isaiah 59 and 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened, that it cannot save. Neither his ear heavy, that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. For your hands are defiled with blood and your fingers with iniquity. Your lips have spoken lies. Your tongue has muttered perverseness. You see, sin separates us from God. There's distance where there wasn't distance before. The scripture says that our sins have hidden his face from us. Again, there's nothing in the word that's insignificant. There's, there's a reason that it says that it's hidden his face from us. It's so telling. Because listen, listen, in, in, the, in the context of relationships and what, what we've been talking about this year. It's so telling because the face is the epicenter of everything relational. Between people, I mean. You, have you ever had a conversation, Courtney, have you and I ever had a conversation where like, we just look at each other's feet? Hmm? Jeremy, have you ever looked at your shoulder while I was talking to you? That would be kind of weird. You, you'd think I was stupid or something. You'd be like trying to, you know, catch my eye because that would be very, very strange. The face is, is the center of all expression. Our faces contain the ability to express who we are and how we feel. We learn about each other through our faces. I mean, there's what you say, but, you know, some people, you got to look at them while you're talking. Because the face is going to tell the real story. The words are going to tell you what they think they want you to know. But their face, that's going to tell you the true story. You can read someone's facial expressions and just know exactly how they feel. In addition to all of that, we're identified by our faces. That's how you know somebody is somebody. It's like, well, I saw that cat walking by. I think that might have been Steve Bunch, but... I don't know, it was, he was kind of walking away from me. I didn't get to see his face. Your face is how you really know. The face makes me Brian, and 
and, and makes you Jeremy and so on and so forth. I don't want to be separated from the face of God. I don't want the face of God hidden from me. Of all things, maybe you could even take his power or his right hand or you could take his feet, what he's done for us or something, but don't take his face because his face tells me what I need to. His face gives me the expression. His face is how I really know him. His face is how I relate to him. It's how he expresses to me. I don't want to be without the presence of God. I don't want to be hidden from the face of God because of my own sin. Can I get some witness today? <laughs> in the tabernacle plan in the Old Testament, <clears throat> getting into the presence of God was a big deal. All right, you, you, you didn't just like stroll up in there as you were passing by. Oh, I'm going to go by the church today, and you know while I'm there, I think I'll stop in and, and visit with God. It, it wasn't like that at all. And again, the reason for that was because of sin. It was because of Adam's sin. And God provided this method by which blood could be offered and there could be some access. But all the right steps had to be taken. They had to be taken in the right order and at the right time. And even then, that only happened once a year, the Day of Atonement. Getting into the presence of God and into the holiest of holies where the Ark of the Covenant was, you didn't just get there, and then only the priest could go, and only after all of that had happened. That was because of sin. Sin had separated men and women from God. There wasn't much witness to be had in those days, Jason. Wasn't a lot of witness then. But then God changed the plan again. He changed it again. Now, you've heard that God doesn't change, and that's true. His characteristics don't change, and who he is doesn't change. But he'll change stuff in a heartbeat. Yes, he will. He changed things. The biggest change in, in that point of order was how he would be with us and how we could go about being with him. He changed the plan again. So in order to give mankind the, the ultimate formula for relatability, he, he disrobed his throne he came here and placed himself on the earth as a man so that we could be with him and so that he could be with us. Everything I just told you about history was God working the deal so that he could be with us within his own parameters. Y'all with me there? He came to execute a plan that would provide a path where there previously was not a path. He came to provide a way for us to be with him both here and now on the earth as well as for eternity. That sacrifice that happened at Calvary that we talk about so often was all about some more witness. The timeline of Jesus' life is, is telling of this fact. Let me, let me get through this for you. And this is, I just made this up, okay? So if it's wrong, y'all go talk to somebody else. It's right for me. The first days of Jesus' life is that he came as a baby. He was born as an infant child. He, he lived here in the general population. He did whatever kids did then. Uh, he lived his pre-ministry days as, as an infant, as a young boy, as, as an adolescent, as a teenager, and, and as a carpenter, as a man. That's what he did, first stage of his life as I see it. And then things changed. That day that the, the, the dove descended on him, that's kind of when his, his ministry started. And that changed the, the role of what we would see, okay? So he went from being just all us, he's just living us, 
And then he becomes the minister and he starts to show us a picture of what the supernatural is. He's acting like God now. Before he was acting like a kid and like a man, not that he's doing anything wrong, but for us to relate to him. And now his ministry starts and he's God. He's healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's doing God stuff, okay? And then the third stage is that he pays the price for our failures. Pays the price for us. He himself determined thousands of years prior to that that blood had to be shed in order to cover sin. He could have changed the rules because he's sovereign. He's complete. But he honored his own established word. Y'all understand, if he would have changed the rules, we wouldn't have known. It would have been fine. He's God. He can do whatever he wants to do. But he didn't do that. He honored his own established word. He didn't fast forward to the result. He utilized his previously established law of cause and effect. Blood had to be shed so that we could have witness. In the first two stages of Jesus' life, the exposition of purpose is, is different. It seems separate. In the first one, he's living like us. I told you that. In the second one, he's demonstrating the supernatural. He's, he's being God. But in the third stage, in those last days on the cross, he's doing both. He simultaneously exhibits both sides of his dual nature. He's still living and experiencing the most horrible days of, of anyone's life that we could imagine. But his response to that horror comes from the completeness of the character of God that was in his body. His fleshly body was experiencing the worst physical, horrible, horrible pain imaginable. The pain had to be excruciating. It had to be debilitating. I don't know if any of you have ever been in any serious pain. I really have not. Just, just a little bit from time to time. But when I'm in pain... My purpose goes away. Everything, Jason, everything else, I mean, my job, my kids, my wife, how, if I'm trying to be nice, if, look, if, if I'm trying to learn a song for that night or it doesn't matter what's going on, my purpose takes a back seat to the pain because I physically can't think about anything else because it hurts so bad. Y'all with me? My focus completely shifts away. Jesus' physical pain had to be unimaginable. I don't know how it could have been any worse. And yet his thoughts never left us. His thoughts never left you. His purpose stayed true the whole time. His thoughts, even in the moment, were for the fellow man next to him. The thief that hang on the cross, he was giving him assurance this day You'll be with me in paradise. As he hung on the cross in, in the marred physical state, his fleshly form requests forgiveness from the Father, from the Spirit, for those men who had put him in that place. He defended their actions as ignorance. Father, forgive them for they, they know not what they do. Why did he say that? He said it because he still wanted to be with those people. He still knew that he was, he was making a way 
for them to be with him. And it was okay with him that they brutally beat him and nailed him to a cross and pierced him and he was hanging naked. He, he was all right with that because he knew his purpose and the God in him was overcoming the flesh that hung there. I got to move. Back to the timeline. Number four, Jesus is dead now. There's no Jesus on the earth. Jesus is gone. Did y'all know there was a time when there was no Jesus? Three days, there was no Jesus. He was in a sealed tomb. And after three days, he, he exhibits the, the ultimate power. He raises himself from the dead. And I believe he was really dead. Because if he wasn't really dead, then there wouldn't have been a miracle. I believe the water was, was really water. I, some people say, oh, it wasn't. He didn't really make wine because Jesus wouldn't have made wine. Wrong. It was water and it was wine. And he was dead and he raised himself because that's what he can do. After that was over, he raised himself. Here's the fifth thing, the fifth stage of Jesus' life, the ascension. After the 40, after the, the I'm sorry, I'm, I'm out of line. When he raised himself, what did he do? What was the next thing he did after he raised himself? Did he leave and go back to heaven? Stayed here 40 days. 40 days. Why did he do that? He, he stayed right where he was and went back to doing the same thing he was doing before he was crucified. Why did he do that, Sister Murph? He wanted to be with us some more. From the very beginning, we've been messing up. And doing this and doing that and causing God not to be able to be with us. And he's been working his way through his own words, making ways for that to happen. We've always wanted to be with him, but the sin has kept us from it. He wants to be with us. When his time on earth, he wanted to be with us. He wants to be with us in the future forever. And then the fifth thing, he came back after the 40 days and he told those guys, he said, look, I got to leave. I'm going. I got to go and prepare a place for you. But I'm not leaving you. I'm going to send a comforter to come and be with you. But here's the cool part. We didn't know it then, but he was kind of changing things again because the spirit didn't come to be just with us. It came to be in us. There's a whole new level of withness. So God says, I'm going I'm to fix it this time for real. I'm going to give them something that, that can, can get inside of them, and their spirit and my spirit can be the same, and they'll, they'll be a lot like me. He could have shaped and molded the mankind experience any way he wanted to. Any way he wanted to. If that doesn't make sense to you, just con consider how he created the world. God said, let there be light, and then what? Boom, light. There was nothing. God spoke to nothing, and, and nothing had to just obey him. Where there was nothing, something had to make itself, and it had to make itself into the right thing. God could have done this any way he wanted to do it. I'm telling you that God could have dealt with us any way. He could have created us and dealt with us in any way he wanted to, and it would have been perfect because that's 
the nature of his sovereignty. But his heart's desire is evident in the history of his action. And the history of his action tells us that he just wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him. In all honesty, if I boil all this stuff down, the, the living for God, the relationship with God, building the kingdom of God, church life, Bible reading, all that stuff, in the end, all I really want is to be with him. I just want to be with you, Lord. I just I want to be with you today and tomorrow and forever. And, and everything else that I think about will fade away if I could just be with you. I'm late, but I, I got to finish this. I told y'all we went to NAYC 10 days ago, two weeks ago, whatever it is. And uh, it was an incredible experience for, for our young people and for us. The first day we got there, things were a little chaotic. The hotel wasn't ready for us and so on and so forth. But we got to church or we got to the place where they were having church. We got to the football stadium and... Um, it was so incredibly loud. Oh, my goodness. Aaron got me some earplugs <laughs> next day. I was never so happy. I couldn't hear myself think. But the worship was awesome, and they were singing, and, man, the kids were excited, and, you know, their people were worshiping. It was great. Let me tell you a story. When I was a kid, uh, I remember the first time I ever think I felt the presence of God in my life. There was, I, was, I was back behind my mother's house. It was a tree, a section of woods back there, about a half a mile deep. And I was in those woods, and there was a big oak tree. I mean a big tree. And I don't know how old I was, 10 or 12. Maybe I had not been exposed to the church yet. But I sat down in that big old oak tree's roots. It was a wet area, and when, when trees grow in wet areas, their roots are a little more exposed, a little more pronounced. So a little kid could sit down between them, and kind of rest his arms on the roots next to him. Kind of makes a V. And I was hurting about something. I was feeling lonely. And I, I sat down and I remember it. I don't remember a lot of things. But I remember this pretty clearly. I knew right where I was. And I can remember the woods in front of me. And about maybe 100 yards out in front of me. It opened up into a field that my neighbor owned. Gerald St. Romain. And his cows were in that field. And I, I didn't know anything about God at the time. I was I was just really looking for some comfort. And I got it. That the presence of God, I didn't know what it was at the time, but the presence of God came over me. Just felt it, you know, and you feel it however you feel it. You, you get goosebumps or the hair stands up on your arms or whatever. So at, at NAYC, with all those people jumping and, and going crazy and, and the, la the loud, super, super loud music and the the media and just smoke machines and just all that stuff coming at you. Man, our young people are like, God is here. There's 34,000 of us. God is here. I can feel God. And the Spirit whispered in my mind, because Lord knows I couldn't have heard it if he whispered in my ear. <laughs> he whispered in my mind, and he said, you remember the first time? It's just like that. It's no different. So listen, what I saw was different in Indianapolis than in Jairo. There wasn't a lot of stimulation in Jairo. I was just by myself. In Indy, there was all these tens of thousands of people worshiping. But the God was the same. 
the environment was different, but his presence was no different. Because all of his quantity, listen, I'm almost done. All of his quantity, all of his quality, all of God's quality is contained of any of his quantity. In him dwells the fullness of the Godhead. So young people, those of you who were there, I want you to make sure and know, don't ever believe that you've got to be in something like that to feel what you felt there. You can feel that right here. You can feel it anywhere you decide to. Anywhere you decide to. I'm talking about withness. I'm talking about withness. Let's pray. We'll go to big church and I'll finish this up next week. Lord, I'm just so happy to be with you this morning, God. I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our church. There's so much going on and your hand is, is underneath and behind all of it. We praise you, God. We thank you this morning. I pray, Lord, that our sacrifice you find acceptable. I pray, Lord, that, that you find what we offer today as worship to be good enough. We love you. We thank you. We praise your name. In Jesus' name.